things about human nature, hasn't it? Some, some good, some not so good, but one thing it has reminded all of us is that it's the little things in life that make the biggest difference. Uh, little things that perhaps maybe we've taken for granted. Oh, buddy, can you turn my lights on? I wonder why. Little things like lights. Ele- electricity. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> little things perhaps we've taken for granted too long in our fast-paced, materialistic, pre-COVID world. And actually some research conducted, uh, just conducted this year has put together a top ten list of what it calls simple little joys that our recent lockdowns have kind of, kind of brought to the surface. Uh, little joys like the joy of seeing a loved one after having been separated for a long time. Uh, the joy of receiving, and I've been thinking about you, note in the mail, or perhaps a phone call. <laughs> Taking the time yourself to, to write to... to <laughs> it's going to be one of those days, Lord. <laughs> taking the time yourself to write to a friend or, or call them during church. Uh, video chatting with a loved one. D- doing something kind for yourself. Uh, having time for yourself. Having more time maybe to, to play with your pets. Uh, I love this one. Sleeping in a freshly made bed. Right? How, how about feeling the sun on your face? And, and I love this last one. Remembering that I can cook and eating at home. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, somebody said amen. Uh, so, you know, but really, re- the, what that tells us is little things really do mean a lot. And that's actually the theme of today's text in Psalm 117, a psalm that is not only the shortest text in the entire collection of psalms, but actually the shortest chapter in the whole Bible. Uh, and as some have, have calculated, depending on your particular translation, placed at the exact center of God's word. Uh, And all of that, I suspect, intended to draw our attention to the consistent theme in Scripture that in God's world, bigger is not always better. And smaller is not necessarily insignificant. Because as we sang this morning, little is much when God is in it. And you're going to see that uh, as we go through Psalm 117 today. So I hope you have your Bibles with you and that you join me in it. For those of you just joining us, remember we've been in this long expository series through the book of Psalms, and we started with one. Uh, And I actually wrote down when we started, it was uh, June of 2018. And so here we are in Psalm 117. This is what the psalmist writes, I praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. God, our Father, uh, the scriptures have been read. Your word is about to be proclaimed. And so let all lesser words slip away from us. Silence our fears, banish our assumptions, clear the cobwebs from our ears, and penetrate the corners of our hearts, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. We know that you can. Uh, And we pray that you will, even now, through Christ our Lord. Amen. So, uh, if you remember from prior weeks, this section of the Psalter that we've been looking at is known as the Hallel. It's the the section that runs from uh, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And these Hallel Psalms 
were designed to be sung at the three sacred feasts of the Torah, the, uh, the Feast of the Passover, Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, the feast that every Jewish male was required to attend annually in Jerusalem. And if you remember, this word Hallel simply means praise. It's actually where we get the, the transliteration of the English word hallelujah from, which if you remember is just a mashup of two Hebrew words. It's the verb halal, which means to praise, and the noun yah, which is the abbreviation of Yahweh, God's holy covenant name, which he revealed himself to Moses. And it, and it gives us not only the word that begins today's psalm, but it bookends, because it says hallelujah at the beginning and at the end, it bookends this beautiful little verse in the middle that although incredibly small contains the highest truth of God's word when it says in verse 2 of Psalm 117 for great is his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever and if we take that verse and if we tighten our look even closer and look right at the center of that verse that verse purported to be at the very center of this holy book is one tiny little Hebrew word that we talked about in Sunday school class today that is the beating heart of exactly what it is that we're all doing here today. And that is the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed. It's translated in the English Standard Version that I read you as steadfast love. Uh, your version may say uh, unfailing love, may say loving devotion, yours may say merciful kindness, and that's okay. Because uh, that one tiny little word carries with it a concept so enormous that we will spend all of eternity trying to comprehend it, trying to get to the bottom of that one tiny word, just three little letters in Hebrew that actually appears 250 times in the Old Testament as either God's mercy or his compassion or his faithfulness or his perfect love, and all of them expressing an essential part of God's character, and that is his amazing grace to undeserving people like you and me. And, and, and even those words don't completely summarize the concept because hesed is not merely uh, an emotion or a sentiment. It, it, it runs deeper than social responsibility or shifting passions or any kind of ordinary kindness or affection. It's, that's not some kind of sappy, sentimental feeling, but rather hesed is the very nature and active expression of God's being as he loves the unlovable and the unlovely. Not because we deserve it, not because we deserve to be loved or because of any excellence we possess, but because that's simply who he is and what he does. And all of that finds its ultimate demonstration displayed most clearly at the cross and in and through the willing sacrifice and the willing sacrificial act of Jesus Christ. Doesn't that just blow your mind? Uh, and that's not all because the witness and testimony of Psalm 117 is that this love of God is not just for one kind of people or just for one particular race, but rather, as we said, for all nations and all people. And church, in this upside-down, chaotic, turbulent world with very few things that uh, you can be absolutely certain about, except, as they say, death and taxes and maybe fake ballots, this psalm uh, is a firm foundation that we can count on. Uh, and we know a little about uncertainty this year, don't we? We know... Uh, how upsetting it can be, and, and not just in the, the big political and cultural things, but it's especially true when you're unsure about something that's important in your personal life. When you're uncertain about issues like your marriage, or about your kids, or about your finances, or about your health. 
And sometimes, you know, if we're honest, life can become almost unbearable because of our fear and worry about those kind of things. But even though we can't always have concrete guarantees about all the material and emotional things in life, we can have absolute assurance today about the most important issue of life, and that is our relationship with Almighty God. Because God doesn't want us to have the same fears and worries in regard to our relationship with Him that we sometimes do about all those other worldly things. And so, church, you have to hear me on this. Please, uh, today, if you do nothing else, trust what you know about God's Word and be suspicious about what you feel. Right? We have to, we've got to live above the level of our emotions. Because God doesn't want us to doubt our standing or our future And maybe even more importantly, he doesn't want us to be burdened with the guilt and shame over sins that he has mercifully already forgiven us. Even as he's constantly reminding us, we can't make ourselves right. We can't earn our own salvation, but that in his loving kindness, God provided a way to redeem us through his son, Jesus Christ, who paid our sin debt through his sacrificial death. Uh, And doing it so that we can live in assurance of our acceptance by God and of our place in His kingdom and not have to walk around uh, every day all long-faced until you end up looking like the picture of your driver's license photo. <laughs> right? Uh, Paul, Paul picks up that theme actually today in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 1. He says, Now uh, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. And further on in in that chapter, in verse 15, he says, uh, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. We just talked about that this morning. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. And now we can call Him Abba. Father, isn't that amazing? That we can look up and call God our Father. And that's a privilege confirmed all throughout Scripture, revealing the kind of has said love that He has for us, in that He's not constantly wanting to beat us down, but build us up. And to love us in a, in a perfect, deep, continual loving affection as a parent loves their child. As the Bible says, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share in his glory, we must also share his suffering. People don't like to finish reading that part, but we've got to take all of scripture. So Paul's telling us, you know, that we've been adopted into God's family, that we become heirs of all that God has for us. But that includes times of suffering if it advances his kingdom by helping us to minister to other people. If it's suffering that leads us down the path toward greater sanctification, not that we're ever going to reach it or be perfect in this life, but that God will use to, to beat down and sand off our rough edges 
so that we can be in a position to offer wisdom and grace to other people, not because we're better, but simply because we have been where they now are and God brought us out. And so, church, don't ever let past failures give you a defeated Christian witness because the past that you've been saved out of is the core of your personal testimony. And it produces compassion for others that is born out of experiencing similar struggles. In fact, uh, the Bible says that's how Jesus, in, in a certain way, relates to us. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I don't know about you, but that verse is a real comfort to me to know that Jesus understands me and has compassion for me. Uh, and even though he, he never sinned, he knows about the sins that you and I are tempted and attached to. And you know what, whatever those are for you, whatever your particular brand of poison may be. Uh, but that's because you know our pain and problems are never wasted if they can bring about empathy that helps us reach other hurting people by saying, I've been there and God brought me through it and he'll do the same for you. And the Apostle Paul said there are a lot of things that God allowed him to go through simply as an encouragement to other people. He, says, he wrote, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence to boldly speak God's message without fear. And you know, truth be told, speaking... Uh, boldly without fear anymore is not something that we're all very comfortable with, is it? And, and I actually, uh, this week, think I may have a new insight into that, into why that is. And it, it, honestly, it really bothered me at first, but it's something I'm praising God for now. Uh, this, this past week, Vicki and I uh, heard, heard from somebody that we've known for a really long time, uh, heard through social media they had a death in the family, and, and we wanted to extend our condolences. And so, so Vicki got a text back from him. I and mean, we figured that's what it was about, only to, to find out these old friends of ours no longer have a very high opinion of either of us. Uh, in fact, they said quite plainly that our lives, in their opinion, are the height of hypocrisy. Uh, because even though we might preach and teach the gospel, the good news, the word of God now, they remember us from 30 years ago, uh, when our lives were honestly far, far less than what God would have had them to be. Uh, now, I don't think I've ever made a secret of that. Uh, Barbara, don't walk out. <laughs> Man, I lost one already. Uh, in, in fact, I've, you know, I've to, honestly, not, and you guys know, I've told you this way more than once. Uh, you know, if we all had a little TV screen on our foreheads that played reruns of our past lives and our past mistakes, uh, I'd have to be the first one out the door. Okay? Uh, so if you have ever, ever gotten the impression that Vicky or I think we're holier than thou, let this set the record straight. Uh, we both lived a young life outside the will of Christ that we have long since repented of. But guess what? Here, here's the point in telling you that. Here's, here's what's so insidious about that kind of attack that came our way. And it's because the real motive is from the enemy. It's from the accuser of the brethren, from Satan himself, who seeks to stifle Christians from making a bold testimony about a changed life and about the things of God by implying that they can never come up and out from the failures of their past. Except, guys, that's the whole point of why we all come here every week. Not because we think we're perfect, because we know all too well that we are not. Uh, and here's what makes that part of the truth so beautiful at the same time, because, brothers and sisters, please hear me on this. 
That's the heart of the gospel. That's the amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's God's gift of loving kindness. That's, that's the hand up of Hesed. That's the glory of the great exchange where on Mount Calvary the worst about me was unfairly laid upon Christ and the best about him, his holiness and his perfect act of obedience are now graciously applied to me. And church, that's not hypocrisy, that's Hesed. That's the reason that you and I have a witness at all, not because we never sinned, but because we've been saved out of it. And it's funny, because at the end of that communication from those former friends, we, we actually kind of felt kind of affirmed in our faith, because listen to this, they said, we don't know what's wrong with you two. You're both so different than how you were before. And, and that this little part of me that still needs sanctified wanted to say, duh. <laughs> duh. You think? That's why we're here. That's the whole point. That's why I can say with a hymn writer, I'm not yet where I'm going, but I'm a long way from where I was. And brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, that can be your song today too. Because as Christians, we can have confidence and assurance in God because as 1 Peter chapter 1 says, it is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with great expectations. For you know that God paid a ransom to save us from the empty life we inherited from our ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which loses its value. It was with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. And these great promises mean we no longer have to be plagued by feelings of fear and guilt which is another tiny little word that packs a really big punch, isn't it? Guilt. One Christian psychologist recently said guilt is the most difficult problem in the whole realm of psychotherapy. And quite honestly, it's been that way since the very beginning. Guilt has been a problem since the beginning of time. It was guilt that caused Adam and Eve to hide and run when God came walking in the cool of the day. It was guilt over an adulterous affair that caused David to say, my bones almost wasted away because I hid my sin. Uh, it was guilt that had Isaiah cry out, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And as believers, guys, we're going to have times where we fail to live up to God's standards. Uh, if you never has a, have, I'd love to meet you after church because you can, can give me some pointers. But, but even though we're new creations in Christ, we still have to battle that, that old sin nature, don't we? Uh, and that's true whether you're a, a parishioner or a pastor or whoever you are. Uh, Paul wrote about that too in, in the previous chapter in, in, in Romans 7. He wrote... And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. He says, I've discovered this principle that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. So what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus, all of us struggle with things in our lives that we seem to continually be defeated by. We've all experienced fears and, and bad feelings, but God 
want you to know with absolute confidence today that those feelings of guilt and those fears are totally unwarranted. Because when you trust in Christ, you can be certain that you are truly forgiven. If you've really done it. If you've made that public profession of faith. If you've stood before God's people and said, I believe in my heart that uh, God raised Jesus from the dead. You will be saved. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. Because when Christ comes into your life for real, you are pardoned, not paroled. Your guilt is gone. You may still feel guilty, but your feelings are not the reality. And church, is kind of like uh, the same thing that amputee feels. You know, somebody who's lost a, a limb often experiences the sensation of it still being there. Because, you know, somewhere locked in their brain, this memory lingers of a, a non-existent leg or, or hand. And for a few of them, they actually say they can experience pain. Uh, and that's just like false feelings of guilt. You know, in the same way, Christians can be obsessed over the guilt of sin that has long since been forgiven by God, but not forgotten by themselves. They let guilt that no longer exists cause them pain and despair and anxiety. But if you are in Christ, you are forgiven today. And may I tell you, it doesn't matter whether you feel like you are or not. If you are trusting in Christ, there is now no condemnation for you. But there's a flip side to this. Don't mishear me. Do not confuse this as a free pass to just go out and live any way you want or to willingly ignore God's law. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Or for you King James folks, you will always reap what you sow. Right? We know that actions have consequences. And that's true for the believer and the unbeliever alike. But here's the amazing difference. For we as believers, we receive God's loving correction and we receive His discipline while those outside of Christ's church receive justice. And they will one day receive a just punishment. But for believers in Jesus, for us, our sins, all of them, past, present, and future, have already been paid for at the cross. And that was done once and for all because of the sacrifice of Christ. And the Bible declares for us, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took them away by nailing them to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over us on the cross. And you know, that, that makes me so confident, guys, about my forgiveness today because I'm not trusting in my own ability to be a good person because guess what? I'm not. I'm not trusting myself to always keep all the rules because guess what? I fail a lot. But see, now I'm trusting in Jesus who doesn't fail. He, he kept the law perfectly. He paid for all of my wrongs, past, present, and future. And this status of perfect righteousness applies to every believer, whether they're experiencing that in victory or whether they're feeling defeat. And when you know that truth, when you, when you trust in Christ and you're certain that you're truly forgiven, then our love for God is enhanced and we can experience that has said of God firsthand. Now, I, I don't know uh, what your individual sins are, but something I do know is that the Bible says we are all sinners and we're all in need of forgiveness. <clears throat> but we have it in the finished work of Christ on the cross and not in the ups and downs of life, not in the feebleness and frailty of our emotions, which honestly, if you think about it, is a really shaky foundation to base our assurance on, isn't it? Just how you wake up and feel today. In the prior century, Harry Ironside, who was a one-time pastor of the famous Moody Church in Chicago, said, looking into your own heart for a ground of confidence is like casting the anchor into the hold of the ship. 
right? So we need something solid outside of ourselves in which we can put our trust, and we have it today in Christ. Like it says in Hebrews 6, 9, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into the sanctuary of God, right into the heart of heaven where we can rest assured on the authority of God's word that we are safe and we are forgiven and we are free. And that, that, that idea is actually, uh, it's echoed in a great poem that I love by the reformer Martin Luther that I want to draw this to a close with. He wrote, Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, none else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned for want of one sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in his unchanging words till soul and body sever. For though all else shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. And church, today you can be certain that you have that word. That word made flesh. And that in Jesus Christ you are forgiven and empowered to bring the big, bold witness of tiny little Psalm 117 to everyone you meet. In every place you go. Calling people of every tongue and tribe and race and nation to extol the great salvation we have not in ourselves, but in the loving said of God the Father through the person and work of Jesus Christ that is graciously applied to your heart and to my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we're so grateful uh, for your, your gracious love. Whatever, whatever language we read it in, whatever word we call it by, we're grateful, Lord, that you love us when we don't deserve it. And so, Father, we ask that you would uh, just allow each person under the sound of my voice to feel and hear that love. If there's even one that uh, doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, that you would make the reality of your presence so heavy upon them that you would help them to know your love and your grace. Uh, and, Father, we just thank you for uh, the peace that we know that we can have only in you. So, Father, this week, take our eyes off of the, the world, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and we continue to trust in you, Father, for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.